You're listening to The Joel Mark Harris Show. Samuel Ramos. He will tell us a little bit about how he got into the profession, uh, the state of newspapers and journalism today, and the future, which may include drones. Hi Sam, and welcome to the show. First off, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to go into journalism? Okay, well, what really got me started was reading the Globe and Mail probably back as early as the mid 90s for sure so when i started like grade 9 or 10 and i can't remember how far back that was now that must have been 96 95 so anyways that was the big sort of goal was to write for the globe and mail because it was a canadian institution and it was just a wonderful publication anybody and everybody who wanted to be read uh, had to write for the Globe and Mail. So that's where it started, and I just did small writing throughout high school, university, moved out to Vancouver, and then that's when I got more serious about becoming a journalist, started writing for the Source newspaper, and then from there took off to Halifax in 2009, and I did a one-year uh, graduate degree at the University of King's College. And you worked uh, for the EBC, uh, or the, sorry, the CBC in Halifax, right? Yes, I did uh, about two months there as part of the yeah. schooling. And that was at the time that there was a lot of cuts happening at the CBC. Mm. I think they cut about 800 jobs at that time. So the vibe was, was pretty bad. Um, people were discouraged, and the CBC no longer seemed like the institution that it used to be um, back in as, as late as the 90s. Um, when I sort of, you know, that was the, the, the sort of golden egg of journalism was also to be able to work for the CBC and get onto the, you know, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, so you mentioned the source newspaper. Can you... Tell me about how you got um, involved with them. So with the Source newspaper, I started in 2008. And it was just an ad in Craigslist, actually, that I saw under writing and uh, and volunteer. And so I answered that ad because I wanted to pad up my portfolio for schooling. Um, And so I got started through a Craigslist ad and... The newspaper has been around for about 15 years now, and it was established by a Senegalese Frenchman named uh, Mamadou, um, hmm. and he started the paper off, and it's it's been quite successful, actually, and its mandate of being bilingual and presenting arts-based intercultural stories. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that, just because it does seem that some of the smaller newspapers are actually performing a lot better um, 
than big ones these days. I, and it seems that, uh, like the source newspaper, that they have to find the right target market and um, really um, appeal to a specific readership. Yeah, and so the source newspaper nails it um, with its readership being focused not just for English, but also for French. Um, and so there was another French paper in existence, which I can't remember what it, what its name is. If I really think hard, I could remember, but it doesn't matter anymore because it doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> and so that was basically, it was just the source newspaper and the southern newspaper who focused on French, the French community. Um, as a lot of folks would know, you yourself, Joel, you know, there's a lot of community newspapers. The Vietnamese uh, have a, a newspaper which is huge and quite successful. Um, you know, the Chinese publications are more than abundant here in Lower Mainland. Um, the Indian community has its own newspaper. Um, so all of these cultural, uh, even the Irish, my goodness, yeah. Oh, really? The Irish I didn't know that. And it's been around for a very long time. Um, this newspaper and it's community based and it's focused on Irish. So you wouldn't really? think that, you know, a a city, Vancouver, especially being so far away from Ireland, would be able to sustain a newspaper that's focused yeah. on the Irish community. But there it is. The Irish community has one. I can't remember now what its name is, unfortunately, um, because it's still around and it's a great little publication. So. Um, so yeah, so the, so the source newspaper's mandate and focus is on bilingual, it being English and French, um, intercultural stories, and a large focus of that, of course, is uh, to the French community, which doesn't have a, a newspaper itself. So the source newspaper serves as that, even though it's not mainly focused on that. I think that's uh, that's super interesting. Um, and do you think that uh, journalism as a whole is going to go more towards that like super focused niche group rather than um, you know you got these big newspapers like the Globe and Mail and uh, National Post mm -hmm. um, that try and you know they're the it's the newspaper that got you into the business yeah. but it may not be the future. Um, and I, I see newspapers and journalism as a whole going more towards, um, you know, smaller, targeting smaller groups and, and not being so, so expansive. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the big boys are having a lot of trouble, and it hasn't been a very well-kept secret that the Internet has a lot to do with that. Um, mm. So advertisement-wise and just readership has gone down because in order for me to find out what the idiot Ford brothers are up to in Toronto... <laughs> I don't need to get paper clippings from the Toronto Star or Toronto Sun. Um, you know, I don't need to get this tactic, you know, tactical stuff to, to read about what's going on in Toronto. I can just go to the star.ca or torontosun.com and boom, I get to know what's going on. And that extends beyond around the world with the Hong Kong uh, protests, with 
all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East that has been going on for a long time. And so I don't need to depend on the Vancouver Sun or the province, the Globe Mail, or the National Post for any of that stuff because I can just go online. So the major purpose and importance of all the and why these community newspapers exist is because they're telling stories. They are telling stories that are appealing and geared specifically to a very small radius. Um, very, very, you know, not very often will you see community newspapers talking about these global stuff or what's going on in Toronto's backyard. Um, you, you'll hear stuff just about Vancouver and about the community within Vancouver. So the microcosms, that's where these community newspapers exist and that's where they thrive. And I'd say journalism, I wouldn't say it's going that way, but journalism is expanding to mean more to me when it comes to print newspapers to more storytelling rather than news telling. And there's a major difference there, I think. So what, yeah, what do you think the difference is then? Um, I don't want to hear that, you know, I don't need to hear about somebody's dog dying across the street from my neighborhood. Okay, the dog died. Okay, you know, seven dogs died. Like, that to me is <laughs> not not newsworthy. Um, mm. But tell me a story. That would be very different about, you know, a lady who took in dogs and has been doing this for 30 or 40 years or is starting to do this kind of thing. That, to me, is more of a, of a story than news. Um, I'll learn something. Um, so it becomes more long-form journalism, even when it's only within 550 to 600 uh, words. Whereas news is like, you know, again, what's, what are the politicians up to? Really, that's yeah. news right there. Crime levels. I mean, we're, we're grateful here that we don't have too much crime, so we don't hear too many of that. So it's the late night, 11 o'clock news, news stuff that, you know, if there was a big fire, you would pick up a newspaper the next day to find out the details of that fire. But now you don't need to do that because you just go on Twitter and you find out that it went <laughs> down on 49th and Granville or something like that. Sorry, I, I just swore there. I don't know if that was appropriate or not. <laughs> I I hate to hate myself for saying this, but I think you're gonna censor me, are you, Joel? No, I'm never. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, you can say whatever you want <laughs> on this I podcast. Though. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that that's the major difference, and that's where kind of we're headed to is more more storytelling. It's funny because I just picked up the West Ender today after a long time of not reading it. And yeah. they've completely revamped the layout. They have gone to more of a website look, but at the same time, telling stories, community-based stories, um, that the, where the radius is quite small and not too large. So, the Westerners have been around for a long time, and... They're still thriving, even though you have the behemoth that is the Georgia Strait. Mm. There's still room for the West Ender, the the Courier, um, which serve as weekly newspapers as well. Cool. Um, so now that we've talked about this, the very small, um, 
I kind of want to talk about the very big, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, just in the news um, for the past, I don't know. It seems like uh, at least a month or so about um, you know foreign journalists going to uh, the Middle East and uh, basically getting killed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, through and being, I guess, used as propaganda for, uh, you know, uh, terrorists and people who have, uh, I guess, ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you, I mean, I, I guess my question is, do you think that uh, journalism is becoming more dangerous um, in the, in the modern world? Um, that's a that, that's a good question. I don't think it's as dangerous as it used to be, actually. So I quite think that these are very isolated incidents, um, where it's going back to a very um, yeah, it, it, it's. Like I, ISIL and ISIS, I'm not sure what acronym you want to use, but um, I mean that that just blew people out of the water, I think, because it was just so unexpected, and I think journalists as well didn't really see this kind of coming. Um, whereas the the last major wars have been Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, and so those those have been very calculated, both by armed forces and governments, but also and through them, the newspaper or the media and journalists too, because they have holding pens, they can only see so many things, so they don't they're not exposed to too much. Whereas ISIS and ISIL kind of just came out of nowhere and didn't give journalists too much time to be like, is this safe or is this not safe? It was almost like, boom, BBC, mm-hmm. you're captured. We're going to make an example out of you kind of thing. So it, it, it depends. I mean, I think um, journalism used to be much more dangerous when wars were fought and the media could just run around as well yeah. um, mm. alongside soldiers and whatnot and at their own peril, quite literally at, at their own peril. Um, instead of having to check through governments and armies and all that, which is what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, it just seemed too, too manipulated, too, too handled. Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of, I'm not, I don't have a definitive answer on that because of course, mm. folks who go into dangerous areas um, are in danger and risk a lot of stuff, but. I don't know the, how many opportunities folks have to put themselves at danger. Do you think um, these uh, these videos are a detriment to journalism? Just because now I feel like uh, you know armies, governments can have more control over what these journalists do um, in these foreign countries. Um, because they they have these these videos and they and they can tell these journalists oh it's it's very dangerous you shouldn't go report in these areas. Mm-hmm. So you're asking 
like is sorry what's the question again Joel? <laughs> uh do you think that um these uh these videos that are made they i mean obviously they're used for propaganda mm-hmm. uses but I think they also prevent journalists from reporting on what's going on, and I mean it doesn't only it not only scares off journalists, but it it allows governments more control over um, what these journalists do. And what so do governments you, are we are we talking about here? I think well, I mean any I mean any government that's involved. So it could be the U.S. government. Um, you know, it could be the Canadian government, British, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Iraqi government. Um, but I mean, I guess my question is, do, um, do you see journalism, especially, um, war correspondence becoming even more controlled, uh, than it previously was, um, like you know, especially since you said that journalists could basically be embedded mm-hmm. in um, you know in uh, in war countries, war torn countries, um, and have more free access. Yeah, um, it's funny you mention that because that that was at the kind of tail end of my um, answer earlier, or my my thoughts on danger is that. I think now it would really take a ballsy fucker to go into Easy's <laughs> area and be like, I'm going to report for, you know, a foreign newspaper or media outlet. Um, hey, what's up, guys? Like, it would t- really take somebody with a, a lot of balls, a lot of courage yeah. to kind of do that. So there is an element of a fear for sure I think and he- and definitely hesitation not only on a journalist part but also on a on a broadcasting or a newspaper outlet or a media outlet to send somebody there because you could be made an example of uh mm-hmm. so it it's definitely a scare scare tactic and it also controls the message very well there is no way that um that message is going to be given or or um, portrayed by somebody who isn't a part of these groups. Um, in this case, ISIL. I'll call them ISIL because it's easier. Um, they're the ones who control the message. And so they could easily just, they're controlling the message. They put stuff out there. And so folks in the UK, folks in, the, in, in, in America, folks in Canada, um, you know, the Oceanic area in Australia, what are they going to show? They're not going to show something of one of their correspondents because they're scared shitless to go in there. They're going to show mm-hmm. what these groups, specifically ISIL, puts out. And so it's quite um, in, it's smart what they're doing, right, um, and how that's working. And it's working to their benefit because then journalism doesn't thrive around there. It's just pure 100% message being put output by them. Because to be perfectly honest, I have no idea what's going on over there. <laughs> really, <laughs> I really have no idea. And this is as a journalist, as a writer, as a as a human being, um, I have no idea what's going on. Like I I have a thought of what's happening in terms of why this is happening and how it's happening, but I'm not quite sure exactly. I can't put 
an image or a thought or a face to it. Why? Because journalism is not involved in there at all. There's no story being told. It's just shit's happening. Boom. And does that scare you? Um, I wouldn't say it scares me. I'd say it's worrying. Um, but the internet has a lot to do with that. The only reason that these groups are allowed to do what they do and be extremely uh, violent about it is because they don't need anybody now. They have the internet, and that's the only medium they need. These guys who, you know, rest their souls um, were, were were killed. They weren't used in any other media way except to be made an example of. Um, they weren't held and asked to send messages out. They weren't, you know, taken hostage and coerced into writing stuff and and portraying messages. No, they were just held, done with what they were done with, and then just killed. So they have no use for for journalism. Um, and perhaps um, countering groups like you know the United States in this case could use journalism, but they don't really need to because the message says it all, what these guys are putting out there. And so, of course, people are going to back, you know, uh, an airstrike or or an all-out war because what's being portrayed is is, is hor- horrific. So, yeah, it's but boring, the- but it's a product of what of our times. That's, that's really what... Yeah. But don't, you know, the common citizen, us, I suppose, don't we need to know more that what's going on? Yeah, but how? I mean, I guess that's the, the big question, isn't it? And how and who? And, yeah. And it's the who who's the bigger or who's the biggest question. And again, I go back, who the hell is going to go over there with a one-way ticket hopefully a two-way ticket, but probably it'll end up being a one-way ticket, to try and capture what's happening on the ground so that folks can decide for themselves. Nobody. Yeah. You're you're running a huge, huge risk. There is no, in my opinion, there, there would be no negotiating with somebody unless, I don't even know. I mean, there would be no negotiating, like, let me tell your story. No, we can tell our own story. Thank you very much. What about some, I mean, drones are being used in all sorts of new and uh, fantastic ways. Yeah. Um, Fighting videos where the (laughs) camera smacks the groom right in the face. Yeah, just like that. That's why humanity, you know, evolved to where we're at. So we can use drones for that purpose. (laughs) But, I mean, I know drone journalism is... uh, it's becoming bigger, but drone perhaps, journalism. Yeah. What is this? I haven't heard about this. Uh, well, I mean, you know, drones. How they've, uh, I mean, they're used for all sorts of things now. Um, obviously, bombing people. Yeah. Uh, seems to be their first use. Right. Um, but I mean, they're they're used for. Um, you know, checking power lines or right. uh, obviously in film, which I'm involved in, um, you know, cheaper ways to, to get those aerial shots. But, I mean, they can also be used 
to go to, into these um, war into war basically and uh, film things and places that that people can't or journalists can't can't reach because it's so dangerous. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess drone journalism. Like, I, I, I haven't, I hadn't heard about it. Um, but so what? What I think about it is, I don't think very much because I haven't seen too much of it. Mm. Um, I tend to just read news. I don't really watch news much. I so that's my kind of vehicle is reading. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen any news outlets do the drone reporting, but I'm very interested and curious to see this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I there there isn't much, as you say, uh, already. But I, it may be maybe the future. Who knows? Well, it, it could be the future. But the thing is, is that who owns the drone? Yeah. And I mean, from 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 my limited knowledge about drones, it's it's the government that's got, uh, you know, a large hold on that. So yeah. I wouldn't even know how much a drone would cost in order to get one. <laughs> and can, let's say, um, a news outlet like NBC or CNN get a hold of a drone? It's beyond me how, yeah. how, 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 how to get a hold of one that would go into. But then I just think that governments would maybe, and this is completely hypothetical um, borderline conspiracy theory that if uh, a news outlet got a drone they'd be like well this is going to be used now for military purposes thank you very yeah. much for your cooperation and that's it yeah um, yeah it's, it's all who holds the intelligence and in that case I wouldn't put it past governments to just roll right over um, journalism be like mm, yeah thanks but we're going to take over here now. Well, cool. I mean, that's that's all I got, Sam. Anything else you want to add? Um, no. Um, I'm 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 good pretty much. Uh, yeah, journalism is an ever-evolving thing. Like after this, I'm going to continue to do what I did when I was 16 and check out you know, what's going on at the Globe and Mail. I don't like the Globe and Mail anymore, unfortunately. To go full circle, they've disappointed me in more than in a few ways. So I don't really trust them as much as I used to. And it's mostly that whole Margaret Wente thing. What what thing is that? I Margaret Wente, I miss that. she's a columnist for, for the Globe and Mail, and she plagiarized gotcha. a, a shitload of columns. Really? Yeah, and basically she got a slap on the wrist, and then she was told to never do it again. Huh. And then that's it. Ish. But, I mean, the cardinal rule in journalism is don't yeah. and if you do, mm-hmm. you're done. But that's more threatening and scary to me, to be honest, uh, Joel, than, yeah. you know, stuff that's going along out, outside of the borders. Like, when a national institution is not doing the proper thing and letting a reporter go and then plagiarism kind of is just said to be, oh, that's that's that was wrong, don't do it again. No. There have been journalists who have taken their lives because they plagiarized and they got outed and then that person was no longer reputable. So that to me in journalism respects 
uh, scares me more than anything else is that journalism just doesn't seem to be existing as much in the same high standards as it used to. Is she still writing for the Globe and Mail? She's steady. Really? Steady is still with the Globe and Mail. Check it out. Put put Margaret Wente and W-E-N-T-E. Okay, and I will. And plagiarism beside it, and you'll see a shitload of stuff that comes up. And you'll also see that idiot that's still writing for them, so. <laughs> well. Yeah. So that, that that's is... my last two cents in, in terms of journalism and what I'm I'm sort of scared about or really angry about, and it would be that kind of thing. Uh, you know, issues out in the Middle East, they've been going on for a very long time, and um, there's just, it, it's, it's just very difficult to, to storytell from there. It really is, because it's two very different worlds, and now with the onset of the Internet, there's no real place for a foreign correspondent except, especially in the ISIL case, except for, uh, you know, standing in front of an image or telling a story that has happened long after the big uh, event has happened sort of thing. So, yeah, that storytelling from as foreign correspondent is, is ever, ever, ever evolving. But we still need storytellers and idea makers, but just not Margaret Wente because, in my opinion, she's an idiot. <laughs> and a plagiarist. And that's all you need to say, and people should be disregarding this writer, but not with the Globe and Mail, so... No. <laughs> Interesting. I'll check her out. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me, Sam. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to our interview today. If you like today's episode, please give me a review on iTunes, or you can tweet me at Joel Mark Harris. Thanks for listening. Want to hear more? Don't miss a single episode. Go to joelmarkharris.com slash podcast to subscribe today.